But it, uh, we're in First John tonight in, uh, in the assurance of my salvation. I, I hope we can address that, that thought. I'm just so appreciative of God's grace, his mercy, his sovereignty of who he is, allowing us to know who he is for his son, Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation for our sins, giving us the assurance of that salvation, of our hope that we have. And maybe that's why that song just, it just cuts so deep, to, to, to even just to ponder that thought for a second, that heaven's not my home. And that's what we like to do here at uh, New Harvest Ministries, NEO, is to fulfill the Great Commission, to share uh, the truth of God's word to a lost and fallen world. To be in a position of heaven not being your home would be just such a terrible place to be. The ones that can relate to what I'm saying right now are the saved, beloved. The ones that hear it, it would be silliness and foolishness to them. What's this guy trying to say? So let me just go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, for your grace, your mercy, your sovereignty, for all that you've done, doing, going to do, I pray that you can give people ears to hear and eyes to see through your words. I pray that you can remove me from this message, Father, to calm me, Father, to allow the Spirit to lead me and guide me through your words, Father. Uh, I'm just here to do your will, Father, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, we're, we're in First uh, John, and uh, we're going to be chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. I'll just get us kind of caught up a little bit here. First uh, John. This apostle's letter speaks authoritatively about the truth of the incarnation, a message John's doubting readers needed after hearing false teachers deny the full divid divinity and humanity of Christ. It reaffirms, reaffirms the core of Christianity, saying that either we exhibit the sound doctrine obedience, and love that characterizes all Christians, or else we are not true Christians. When all the basics of faith are in operation, we not only know joy, but can live a holy life and be assured of our salvation, even though we are still far from perfect. The assurance comes especially as we find ourselves learning to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, the last part of that, learning to love our brothers and sisters. See, we, we, it's, it takes work. We just, uh, our fallen nature, it just, it's going to be hard. It's going to take, take work. We're going to have to learn how to do it. As long as we can continue to have the humility, uh, we, we, we'll be able to do that. It, it tells us to be assured of our salvation, that's in chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. It speaks that even though we're far from perfect, that's in chapter 1, verse, verse, chapter one, verse 9. And loving one another is in verses chapter, chapter 4, 7 through 8. And this theme is carried through the book. And what it says, John just keeps compounding it and keeps and adding on it. He, he, 
He approaches it from different angles, but he's saying the same thing over and over again throughout the book, through the theme. John elaborates on the love life of genuine believers. For those who are truly born again, love is an indispensable characteristic, the new nature or seed that God imparts not only exhibits holiness, but also loves love as a habitual characteristic. Those who practice love give proof of the new birth. Those who do not have never been born again since the beginning of the gospel proclamation. Love has been the central theme of Christianity. John emphasizes that they heard from the beginning to emphasize that the false teachers were preventing that which God, through the apostles, proclaimed we should love one another. This phrase highlights the habit of love displayed by those possessing the new nature. Love is not merely an optional duty for someone claiming to be a Christian, but proof positive that only true, truly has been born again. As noted throughout this epistle, John often repeat, repeated the same truths, expanding on them to allow his readers to hear them in new and fresh ways. Each time he presents the same truth in new packages, which expands on a particular aspect of their significance or approach the subject from a slightly different angle. It, and I hope I can do that for you this evening, to approach it from a slightly different e angle. I have to... Uh, you know, I come to this church was... Uh, oh, probably 2008, quite a few years... And you know, I, I came to this church, and I, I can't honestly say if I was regenerated then. And I came with the notion that I was going to help the people at this church. That I was going to come because I could see where some things were getting done, and people were doing jobs, and, and they were outsourcing it and paying people money. And I thought, you know, I could do a better job. I think these people are getting taken advantage of. I don't like to see that because I had a brother and sister, Ruth and Richard, and they were like my brother and sister. And, and I thought I was going to come here and be a knight in shining armor and, and help you guys out at this church, you know. You know what ended up happening? My soul got regenerated. I come to know the Lord. He took out a heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. That's what happened. You know, oftentimes we, we, have, we have so many. And how did that happen? Well, it, the, the, the hook was my depravity, my fallen nature, and I was broken and crying inside. And I kept hearing the word of God, the truth of God's word, in the saints of this church. The saints of the church, of a fellowship, of a body of believers, loving one another like 1 John talks about is, is just, I, I can't express how much that means. When someone looks at you and they tell you that they love you, and they hug you, and they say they really do, you know, because God first loved us. I didn't first love God, God loved me. And Christian saints exhibit that same characteristics that we love people. We love the broken and the fallen. And that love just exuberates and comes out of the saints. And they begin to pray for somebody. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work on one's heart. It begins to draw them in closer. begins to convict them. It's just an awesome thing to be a part of a church. To be a part of this church, Lakeview Baptist. 
They're allowing us to continue to, uh, to do the Great Commission. Uh, well, just what an awesome privilege it is. And so oftentimes we could see that the student can at one point catch up to the teacher. And the teacher is possibly can learn from his student. Now that will only happen if one has humility. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm the student and now I, be, I can teach a teacher. No, I'm not saying that. I said, what I'm saying is you better watch yourself because it's amazing what can happen when the Spirit of God is working. You could be thinking one thing in your head and the next thing you know, you'll end up saved. You'll end up hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God. You'll want to proclaim His truth to all the nations, to all the earth. And when you have a dispute because someone left the toilet seat up, well, you're going to get over it because you know what? We're brothers and sisters and we're going to love each other and that's just how it's going to be. It's just amazing how God can work in our lives. Now, I was presented with uh, some of a couple scriptures here that, that uh, because if someone tells me to read a scripture, I, I have to read it and I got to understand it. Uh, it really bothers me when I, when I can't wrap my mind around something. It, it's, it's almost like putting me in a round room and saying, John, go sit in the corner. You know, I, 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 I can't find that corner. You, you, you've given me a problem I can't solve in my head. So I'm told that uh, John 1.14 was a verse that I started to chew on. Because I want to I be a better speaker. I want to speak with grace. Sometimes I don't always... Oh, maybe I'm not, I'm not able to say the things I want to say it, how to say it. So I start reading this verse, first off, because I thought it was a good verse. Any verse is a good verse to start with, by the way. <laughs> but John 1.14, and the amazing thing about this verse, it, it doesn't fit with what I need to do right now, but it actually fits into the message because I believe that's kind of the Spirit of God that, that works in, in our lives, beloved, that there's a point and a reason for it. And the, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Hmm. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Well, that didn't apply to my situation, but that applies to this message, and it, and it applies to... Uh, see, I, I, can't, I can't have enough, give you enough favor. I can't give you enough grace. And when it says grace, it's talking about favor in the Old Testament. May God have favor on you. See? Favor. God, may God's favor be upon you. And, and just as it says Jesus... He was full of grace and truth. 
He is grace and truth. He is full of favor. He is full of truth because he is truth and he is grace. How can I have that? Well, later, later in the message, we'll learn how we're supposed to love our brothers as Christ loved us, which I can apply that to. But I, I'm looking for something that can help me rightly divide God's word. Now, maybe this passage was meant to saying grace as being, uh, having charisma. You know, like, you know, you need to be, have more truth in charisma. You know, gentleness and charisma. And I think of charismatic charisma. I think of, you know what I think of? Bill Clinton. Boy, was he charismatic. Boy, he could talk. He'd know everybody's name in the room. Obama. You know, that guy sits there and talks, and he'd still get me half believing him. And I tell you, if, they, if you recruited them to be pastors, they would fill the churches up. The only problem is they're apostate. Uh, but other than that, I mean, they would fill the church up. They know how to speak. These people can speak. They'll talk. They're silver-tongued devils. They'll talk the shoes right off your feet. Lee Iacocca. What a marvelous guy. He ran Chrysler. He would memorize and know everybody's name in the room. He would walk in the room and, and he would demand the presence because he had charisma. But is charisma what we need as pastors? Is that what I need? I read Paul who says he, he had no fancy words or fancy thoughts. I look at Moses who was stuttering. So where, where does this, what do I need to have to be better to expound on God's word? To expound on the truth. And I go to these verses. I go to Galatians 1, chapter 1, 15 and 16. But when he who had set me apart, listen to that. And, and it, it goes right into the context of the message. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, before I was even born, he set me apart. And who called me by his grace? He called me by his favor. He had favor on me before I was even born. Was pleased to reveal his son to me. If he, he revealed his son, his favor upon me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now this is Paul, that he may preach them among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anybody. But see, see, God, he did the same thing for me. And it's for me to share the world to a lost and fallen world, to a broken world, to share the, share the truth of his God's word, for you can have his favor. May God's favor be upon you. So that was the start of it. Then I go to Colossians. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, it, it's, it's telling me how to become better, to Look at myself. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And this speaks, we're able to do this outside of the pulpit. 
in a sense, because we can individually know each and every individual, just like Lee Iacocca or, or uh, Bill Clinton or somebody, to, to know each individual's name in the room and to understand who their wife is and to understand about them individually, to have that wisdom. Making the best use of time for God's kingdom work. Let your speech always be gracious. Gracious. In other words, don't be sarcastic. Don't be agitated. Don't be aggressive. But it says, though, seasoned with salt. So it, it, guess what? God's word is a little bit salty. And it's foolishness to those who are perishing. So I can never, I can never clean it up enough for an unregenerated soul to say, boy, that John, he just... He's just such a wonderful speaker, unless I I sacrifice something. And this is what Paul talks about now in Galatians 1.10. He says, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, there's... There's the dilemma in John's head when he prepares a message. My brother earlier says, uh, Bill says, you know, I, I, I get nervous. Do, do you guys get nervous? And, and that was kind of like good news and bad news. The good news is, is I feel the same way he does. The bad news is he's been doing it for 40, 50 years. <laughs> so, but what it does, it, it, it should keep us when we stand up here and, and to rightly divide God's word, that we should have a humble humility about us. Uh, so that's, that's the, the good and bad of that. So now I'm going to begin. Now, if you know me a little bit, you know I kind of move around a lot, and I got a lot of things, and, and hopefully I can pull it all together as the message comes down, because we're still going to be running down the road here. But I hope I can pull it together. So we're going to read, starting off in First John. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to stop at, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop at uh, verse 10, because I'm going to need to stop and break this up. Beloved, and oh, by the way, uh, this message tonight is a moral test for each and every one of us, beloved, and for all those who are here. It's a moral test. Read these things, internalize these things, think about these things. Remember what this, the, the book of John, what it does for us, it, it assures us of our salvation, it tells us we're far from perfect, and it teaches us to love one another, that we have to learn how to we work on that. So this is a moral test for us. Now, in verses in, in 7 through 10, God's character of love. The character of God, his attribute, who he is, it just, it just exuberates and just, just flows right out of these passages. And we're going to try to really dig into that. And then, it, then it's going to go on and tell us uh, from verses 11 to 21, God's requirement of love. Love in one another, God's requirement of love. We, we had a whole message on that previous, and uh, I, I don't know, I'm thinking, boy, I should have just started right out with God and his character of love. And I think I've touched on that a lot, but we're going to try to really just dig into this a little bit. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves knows God and has been born of God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that he might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. Boy, there's just so much here to, to unpack. And it says, anyone who does not know love knows God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. Jesus Christ was made manifest in the form of his, form of his creation. That God sent his only son into the world. Why? So that we might live through him. So that we might live through him. So now, let's just break this down a little bit. We know, and I've been over this, and we're going to touch on it a little bit, because we need to just keep going over it, because it exists today in this, in this time and age. It was the Gnostics, and it was uh, uh, the people were coming into the church and not preaching, rightly dividing God's word, and it was pulling people away from, from God's word, and they were the Gnostics. And, and the, the apostle John here, he wants to say that he visually seen Jesus. He's seen him manifest himself in the form of his creation. He was an eyewitness to that fact. He was a real man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And he came and he walked this earth and he did miracles. And they seen him. They touched him. They said they seen him over and over again. He was not a spirit that just moved in and out of men. He was 100% God and 100% man. And we know, we know, brothers and sisters, we always hear this, that for our salvation, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things came into being through God. Apart from Him, nothing came into being. He was the light and life of the world, but the darkness could not overcome. And we know that Jesus was with God in the very beginning, before time He was with God, 100% God. And He came in, and He was the Word, and He was with God. We are to believe that because, see, it's going to go on in the Scripture and it tells us we must profess those have to profess Christ as Lord and who Christ is. And we need to have an accurate description of who Christ is because there's a lots of false messages out there, a lot of antichrist out there uh, preaching a false gospel just as well as it was back then as it is today. And we have to know the specifics, who he is that where he came from, that he manifested himself in the form of his creation. He was born into this world as a baby. He lived a sinless life. He began his ministry. He performed miracles all over the world. No one never doubted any of Jesus' miracles. They said it didn't come from God, it came from Elzezebub. They, they, they couldn't, no one never denied or doubted the miracles that Jesus did. He walked, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross, because he was a propitiation to have an understanding that he died for your sin, my sin, if we believe. We've heard that over and over and over again, but let's, let's get a little bit more of an understanding who Jesus is tonight. Let's just dig a little deeper. Matthew. 
So where is this Jesus at now? What's going on right now? We, we know all the past, beloved. You, your souls are regenerated. Where are we at now? Well, let's talk about Jesus. But we have an accurate description who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 11, it tells us, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself, to reveal him. Remember how Paul, we read in Paul's, how Jesus, before I was born, he chose to have favor on me and reveal himself to me. But that's not the point of the scripture. The thing is that it says right here, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. All what things? Well, let's go back. Let's go back to some prophecy. Let's go back into Daniel. What's Daniel say long before Matthew had written this? It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there come, came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given, now to him, Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is, is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. That's Daniel before Matthew. And that's where he talked, all things have been handed over from God, the Father, to Jesus. John chapter 3, the Father loves the Son, and what has He done? Given all things into His hand. See, when Jesus defeated Satan and was resurrected and came back to life on that cross, Satan was defeated, and at that point in time, He was given all things into His hand. Let's keep reading. Let's just let our hearts, let's let God's word enter into our souls and our hearts and just let the Spirit work on us. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back. This is, he's sitting at the right hand of God right now. But the point I'm trying to make, all things into his hands. All things means everything. But we're going to keep reading, just in case someone thinks maybe it's heaven or it's something. Let's just keep reading. Uh, John 17. Father, this is, this is Jesus' prayer when he's sweating blood. Father, the hour has come. Glorify the past. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. God has given Jesus authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom he have given him. Each one of us regenerated souls is a love offering for his Son that God draws to and hands his Son and he's been given that, and Jesus is in control of that. Acts tells us, Let's, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
this Jesus whom you crucified. Remember when he said Caesar, who, who's in Caesar? says, well, give him his due. But listen, he is Lord over Caesar. He is Lord over, we're going to get to that, but hold on. We're just going to keep going. Corinthians chapter 15. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he accepted who put all things in subjection under him. He accepted this from God. And we're, we're a love offering. Ephesians 1, chapter 1. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. At that time, of Christ's death and his resurrection. He's united all things in heaven and right here on earth. Ephesians still chapter 1. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, right now this age, but also the one to come. He's in control right now in authority at the right hand of God. This is what God's words tells us. We're talking about the assurance of our salvation. We're far from perfect and how to love one another. Let us build one of each other up with God's word. Let this resonate in our souls. What's taking place, where he's at, how he's in control. Far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Well, that explains who's the head of the church. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Right now, at this present time, this is taking place. A lot of people don't know it. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But therefore, God, in Philippians, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Now you're saying, John, why, why do you keep going over these verses? Well, because we can't hear it enough. We we've, see fear. It talks about fear in our message tonight. How fear is love and fear don't go together. Beloved brothers, sisters, have no fear. We have a living God that's in control of heaven and in earth. And that's why we need, to, we need to chase that fear away. We need to internalize this. Hebrews says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The Old Testament, right? But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus manifested himself in the form of his creation, 100% God, 100% man, and spoke to them. He spoke to them, gave them the word, whom he 
What? What did he do? Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Wow. Hebrews. I'm going to leave that one. I want to move on down to this. Peter. First Peter. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him on heaven and on earth? John chapter 5. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. See, at any time, Jesus can execute his judgment. He's the son of man. Matthew, when Jesus was walking earth, and it says, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the crippled man, rise, pick up your bed and go home. See, he has power and authority over all that. Hebrews, last one, and then we're going to be moving on from that. I know, but I just, I just, we don't talk enough about this. It seems like we talk a lot about the, the history, uh, but let's talk about the present and the future. This just, just kind of rolls into it, and it just warms my soul. Hebrews tells us, chapter 2, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside of his control. See, he left nothing outside of his control. That means everything on earth and in heaven, every angel, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. See, right now, we do not physically see everything that's in subjection under him, and that's why we get carried away because of the condition of the world and all the sin and, and everything that, that's going on because we don't necessarily see it. But if you start looking for it, you can see it. You can hear people preaching, people believing. You can see the miracles that are happening. The truth of God is being proclaimed all across the world. Where was it at 2,000 years ago? It was in the village of Galilee. Today it's in Lorraine, Ohio, Vermilion, Ohio, being proclaimed. There was an indigenous speak. He's probably praying to the eagle god. Today we're right here in Vermilion, Ohio, praying to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Wow. But we can't see. See, I was told that, ah, we sit in the power, the prince in the power of the air. We sit in the devil's lap. Well, you know, I think we did. But I think he got bound when Jesus defeated him on that cross. Now, you say, John, there's still all this depravity. All this. Yes. Here, I, I want you to look at it this way, beloved. Every regenerated soul in here. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to look at it this way. You remember before you were regenerated in your flesh, in your, your sin had control of your body? It told you what to do, when to do it? You were a sinner. You had an unregenerated soul. Remember, you didn't love God. God loved you first. Before that time, there was a depravity. And before, the, before you were even born, God chose to have his favor on you, his grace on you, have grace and favor upon you, that he, Jesus would be revealed to you. There was that revealing, that incarnate, the carnation process when you were drawn to the Spirit, you completely surrendered, you repented of your sin, and you had a new nature about you. Now, he took out a stone of, of uh, a heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh, and he said, 
to you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not in the flesh but walk in the Spirit. You see, at that conversion, at that point, what happened? The depravity in yourself got bound. It got defeated. Because you can't, you're not going to lose your salvation. It's a sanctification process, but you're still going to have this battle going on. But you have a new nature and you have a spirit. And when we walk in the spirit, we, we continue to grow closer towards God to be more Christ-like. The flesh, we have to, I have to carry this dead, lost some weight, 200-pound body around for the rest of my life. I got to carry 200 pounds of dead flesh around that has a fallen nature in it, that has a, that has a thinking problem, I got to carry around. But it's defeated. I have control over it. The same way Christ, when he defeated Satan at that cross, when he was resurrected, he's defeated. We don't, we don't sit in Israel. We, I sit in the power of Jesus Christ, and I'm filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, fills my body today, and I walk upon this earth, and I can walk anywhere in this world with the spirit of God in me to proclaim the truth of his word. You know, oftentimes you, you think about these fighter pilots. Here's a good analogy for you. You got the fighter pilot. He wrecked his plane one time. He has to go back up. He needs to engage. You know, he has all the qualifications. He knows how to fly that jet. He can, he can bird dog him, do everything about it. But he's scared. He, don't, he will not engage because he crashed one time. He ejected out. He won't crash. Beloved, you are a fighter pilot. You may have gotten in a wreck. But listen, you're back in the air. You need to engage. You have the Spirit, the Holy, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit has entered upon you. When Christ raised from the dead, he said he was going to give up a, a power greater that would come in and help each and every one of us. And that's what we read in 1 John 2. You have that in you. That leads me to the Great, the great Commission. Well, John, you're really getting far off. Not really. I'm really not. We're going to pull it, we're going to pull it together here. Just, just a minute. So the Great Commission. Now, we're going to to, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Listen to this. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Not villages and some pneumatic tribes. All nations. Everywhere. Russia, China, anywhere in the world. Go in all nations, he tells us. Baptizing them in the name of of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, listen to this part. First, first he, 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 he tells us all authority has been given to Christ that sits at the right hand of God right here on earth. Then he gives us a command and he says to go preach the gospel, go preach the truth. Then he says, I am with you always. Till when? To the end of the age. Well, someone told me he was going to pull back the Holy Spirit. There was going to be this terrible battle. And here he tells me, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, John. My spirit is not going to leave you. It's not going to forsake you. You go. You engage. You, you take whatever you got. You could stutter, stumble, mumber. I don't care. 
You proclaim my truth. And he tells that to each and every one of us, beloved. That's, that's our sworn duty and obligation. If we believe and have faith, then why shouldn't we do that? But why did they doubt? Why did these disciples doubt? Doesn't that cause doubt in our hearts sometimes? Let's think about that for a second. You know, the disciples, when Jesus was telling them what was going to happen, and I think it was in the Olive Discord, if I pronounced that properly, he, uh, he ended up telling them that what was going to happen. And, and, and Peter says, I'll, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll die with you. I'll die with you, Jesus. Well, we, we know what happened with him too, right? But all the other apostles that were sitting around said, me too, me too. We'll, we'll never leave you. We'll die with you. We're willing to die with you. Then all of a sudden, he, he goes and he begins to pray. And he says, you guys stay here. You stay here. I'm, I'm going to go pray. Come on, Peter and John and, and uh, one more of them. Come on, come on with me. And he brought them a little further. And, and Jesus goes and he's praying. And it was in the 17th chapter. He's sweating blood. He says, God, take this. If you could take this cup from me, take it from me. But he says, thy will be done. And he goes back and they're sleeping. This is the same guy who just says, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, listen, just stay here and pray. You know, I got to go over here. They were sleeping. Jesus, what are you guys doing? Wake up. Then he goes back and he prays some more. They're sleeping again. And he gets captured. Disciples, all the disciples scurry off. They all run off. You know, the ones that said, oh, I'll die for you, Jesus. And then, uh, so what, what changed? What happened there? What changed in their hearts? What changes in our hearts? So then it was when he came back here before the Great Commission, we still had some doubting. So what had taken place was they seen Jesus be murdered. Then he seen him come back to life. So that, that was very fulfilling for them. And then the Holy Spirit come upon them. And that's the same spirit he talks about here. Come upon each and every one of them. To the point that all the, uh, well, 10 of them, 11 of them, Judas, he hung himself. But they, they, were, all, they, they, they were all martyred. They're, they were all persecuted to the point of the death. They were murdered. Except for John, and he was in... in held in isolation in the island of Patmos. See? How did they go from sleeping to that point? Well, the seeing that the Christ, who this letter was written by John, that they physically seen the man God. They seen his miracles to being filled with the Holy Spirit upon Pentecost. Pentecost came and it filled them with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read through some of the verses 11 to 21. Uh, these apostles that were all died horrible deaths and uh, But that great commission, 
And I, and I, I have to bring, I have to bring a, another ancient saint. His name was Polycarp. He was from the church of Smyrna. He had direct conversation with John and Isla Patmos. A direct tie, a linkage from the secular world, the writings of Polycarp to John to Jesus. And it was very interesting about Polycarp. He lived his life dedicated to the Lord, filled with the Spirit, proclaiming the truth of his word, just the way we're supposed to do, beloved. And he was 86 years old, I believe. And because he would not proclaim Jesus as Lord, see, back then in that time, proclaiming Jesus as Lord, it's not like today in, in our world. We, we, we can, it's very easy for us to deny or proclaim Jesus as Lord, it seems like. But back then, if you were not to swear that Caesar was Lord, then you, you would possibly, you would be put to death. And they told Polycarp to come and bound him. And, they, and they, the, the, the soldiers didn't want didn't to burn Polycarp on the stake. They knew him, his love. They said, just, just deny Christ. He says, I, how can I deny a God that's been so faithful and good to me all my life? How can I deny this God? I can't do it. Well, then just, just deny uh, apostate religions, meaning because Christianity, they were trying to call it an apostate religion that the, you need to believe in all these other deities and gods that Rome did. He says, I can't do that. They burned him at the stake. He was filled with the Spirit of God. And he, they wanted to, his hands were bound, but they wanted to tie him. He said, I don't need to be tied. And he was singing, he was singing songs to glory. And the wind was blowing it as he was burning and he was singing. What a remarkable story about Polycarp. So, beloved, I'm, I'm telling us, trying to share with us that, that we do have doubt sometimes. We had the, the apostles had their doubt. And then we see men who with no doubt go forward. They were filled with the Spirit, the same Spirit that is filled in each and every believer. And that's what First John does for us. Let's just kind of read through this. We're running a little short on time, but that's okay. Uh, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. He has given us this 1 John 4, 4, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in each one of you, beloved. He's given us the spirit to engage has sent, given us the Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son. Now here's the apostles giving us that they've seen and testify this. It was the true living God, His Son, to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him. Now, beloved, back then it was a lot harder to confess Jesus as the Son of God and Lord. And there may come a day in our lives that we will have to also. 
But remember, we have that spirit in us. We have the knowledge of his word that's been written before us. God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Through his son Jesus. Remember the, the great commandment to love God with our heart, minds, and souls. And to love others as we, we love ourselves. But then Jesus came into the world and he clarified it because God became personable to us. Became real, a living person that he would come in the form of his creation to be the propitiation for me and you that if I can't express or show love more than that come in the form of a servant to suffer how he suffered we personally know our God Jesus as Abba Father today and God abides in him by this love is perfected in us knowing this learning his word, it becomes to be perfected in us that we can even learn how to love each other better so that we may have confidence. And this is very important for all those who try to steal your confidence and your salvation to threaten you with things so that you may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Like eating a hot dog on Friday and being told you're going to go to hell. You know, it's a fear of the punishment. And we can go on and on over that. False doctrines that, that induce punishment and pain in the one's life. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, there's nothing, there's nothing that they can, they can hold over a Christian. Do you know what really hurts us nowadays as a, as a church? See, what happened with Peter, John, and them, that from the point that, that they was willing to die and die for Christ, is they had nothing to lose. They had absolutely nothing to lose. Today, the church in this world, in this country, has so much to lose. We might get, lose our tax break. We might lose people coming in. We may lose this. Listen, they had things to lose prior to that, but when they come to the point to accept death, they had nothing to lose. Nothing. Don't let fear. Fear, people will instill fear like, like you're going to lose something or you need to do something to cast fear on you. Fear is not of God and it's not love. Watch the news. It's full of fear. People misrepresent scripture, different doctrines to put fear into your heart. That fear does not come from God. The truth of God's word will resonate in all of his chosen, all his believers will resonate. We love because Why? Remember up, up top it says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Now down here it says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Well, that just takes it completely out of my hands. You know how happy I am about that? That it just takes it out of my hands because I've messed up a lot of things in my life. But here's something he says, John, you can't mess this up. He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, uh-oh now, we better listen to this one, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's pretty profound. And that should give all Christians, uh, set us back a little bit and, th- and think about that love. You know, our, our, the Great Commission is to, to proclaim the, the gospel and the truth of all over the whole world. And we are to love, we are to love our mission field, first off. And when you begin to learn someone's fallen nature, that they have a selfish and self-centeredness to them. You know, they overstep, on their, they overstep their bounds, and we get in arguments and disputes with them. But that's our mission field. We continue to love them and share the truth of God's word with them. So isn't it so with a brother then? A brother that we may have a dispute with? We, we, we can both be selfish and selfish and self-centered. We can both overstep our bounds and step on each other's toes. But we have to be able to come back together and love each other. If, if we don't have that ability, we are not in Christ. We are not saved. That's what this tells us. It gives us our assurance of our salvation. And it also, it also throws up red flags for us. And it tells us that we're far from perfect, it tells us. We just confess our sins. Have the humility to confess our sins. If we can't love the brother I can see, then how can I love a God I can't see? He's put his spirit in that man right there. And no matter what he does, if I can't love him, then how could I ever even love a God that I can't see? So I pray that we can all become more Christ-like and Christ-centered. Let me just go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, full of grace, mercy, Father, I just, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for these words of assurance of my salvation, knowing before I was born that you would reveal yourself to me, that I could stand holy and blameless, that all those, all of your, your flock can stand before you holy and blameless. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that enters upon us that's greater than the power of all the world that resides in each and every believer to walk across this world without fear, to proclaim the truth of God's word to all, to everybody, without fear, to live is for Jesus, to die is gain. I thank you for that knowledge. I pray for your strength if we ever have to endure this, these things. I pray for your strength, Father, the same strength that saved me. I pray for that strength in each one of my brothers and sisters. And I pray that we can enter upon your word with just a reverence and an awe. And it comes to have a greater meaning and understanding of your word, that we're able to share that word with a lost and fallen world. I pray for this church here that I stand here today. I pray that the Spirit of God can lead and guide this church in a God-honoring way. I thank you for every saint that has passed through these doors to be Christ-like, to share your love. I thank you for all the prayers of the saints that have prayed. I thank you, God, for the repentant hearts of this church who've prayed for the sins of this world, Father. I pray that you can equip us, encourage us, and continue to love us each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.